Good morning, and welcome to the online ministry of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Kent, Washington. My name is Tommy Allen, and I am the lead pastor. I'm very excited. This morning, we're starting a new series. You'll notice that we're not live streaming this morning. And the reason we're not live streaming is because uh, we've been live streaming for three or four months now, and we just thought we would experiment with a different format. By by pre-recording, that enables me to do more things um, on the weekend. It enables me to visit people. It enables us to have people over. It enables me to interact with your comments. Um, it enables us to actually do more creative stuff, like I can put stuff here, for example. So um, we're really excited about that. And if you haven't heard yet, this whole series beginning today um, is about Jesus throughout the whole Bible. And we're following the template or the outline given to us in the Jesus Storybook Bible. So you, if that's what it looks like if you don't have one. And as we go along, um, I just would remind you, so we're going to be using the, the Jesus Storybook Bible as sort of the, the template, uh, the direction we're going to go, but we're going to be preaching from the Bible. So some weeks that may be really close to the Jesus Storybook Bible, and other weeks it might not be. So for example, when the the Storybook Bible talks about the flood, the chapters that it covers in the English Bible are chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9. There's no way to preach all those in one morning, so we'll probably pick one passage out of that and you know, just go from there. So I thought I would begin. Uh, today is the first chapter in the, the Storybook Bible that we're going to be following along with. And the title of the chapter is The Story and the Song, and it's really what comes prior to the Bible. In other words, it's an introduction. And the, the two passages that it gives us to follow along with are Psalm 19 and Hebrews 1. And so what I thought I would do was open this morning with sort of an invocation using Psalm 119, verses 1 through 6, and then we will talk about Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 4 and a little bit later. So. Uh, if you want to read along with me, please feel free to do that. And otherwise, I say to you, hear the word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man run its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Won't you let me pray for us? Father, I pray this morning as we begin this series and we are going to spend the next year talking about uh, Jesus as he is seen in all the different various parts of the Bible, that I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would be, um, you, you would awaken us. I pray that you would be active uh, both for our sanctification and for our justification. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things, amen and amen. So I thought I would begin this morning basically by asking you um, to think about uh, how, how are you first exposed to the Bible? In, in other words, what's your earliest memory of the Bible? So I would imagine my children would say at some point, you know, their mother or I or both of us read the Bible to them as children. Maybe they don't even remember when they were exposed to it. I didn't grow up in church. I can remember very clearly my exposure to the Bible and it sort of came in little pieces and then it just sort of like a dam broke. 
So I was about 17 years old. I had just joined the army and I didn't, we didn't go to church growing up. I didn't, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about God. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily an unbeliever. I just didn't, never thought about it that much. And one day I was looking for something in a closet in our house and I started digging out some old boxes and I came across an old King James Bible with my mother's name written across the bottom. So at some point in her childhood, someone must have given her this um, King James Bible and it was just in there. Right. So I picked it up and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. A Bible. I've never read the Bible. And I flipped it open. And the very first thing that my eyes landed on were John chapter 15, verse 13, that said, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And I remember thinking, wow, I just joined the army. That seems pretty appropriate. Like the Bible might be like have something to say to me. But then I put it away and I went on with my life. A few months later, I was invited to a camp and I became a Christian. And at that point, I, someone gave me a Bible at the camp and I came home and I remember a friend of mine asked me, um, so how's, how's, how's it going with the Bible? Have you read much of it? And I said, you know, I don't know where to start. I didn't know how to navigate this thing. It seems pretty complicated. His name was Eric Johansson, I remember, he, and he was a great guy. He passed away in an airplane accident a few years ago, and he showed up at my house with a Bible, and he, we went in my bedroom, and he sat on one bed, I sat on another bed across from each other, and he just showed me how the Bible works, right? So if you're going to look at the book of John, there are chapters, and there are verse numbers. So if someone says John 3, 16, that means go to chapter 3, and you look at verse 16, and that was really helpful to me. And so what's interesting, though, is we, if you've been in church a long time, we don't, we tend to think, oh, everyone must know how to use the Bible. Most people don't. I didn't. And so what came next? Well, so then I had to go in the army right after that. Remember, I joined the army. And so I remember going to basic training and they took everything from us, but they gave us those little green Gideon Bibles. And I kept that thing with me and I read that thing all the time. You have a lot of time in basic training. You think people are yelling at you all the time, which they are, but you also have a lot of time just sitting around. And so I'm, I read that Bible all the time. And at some point near the end, um, we were having a marksmanship competition where different companies were competing against each other. And the drill sergeant happened to walk by our, our platoon and he said, y'all better say your prayers. And a big Samoan guy said, Alan, that's you. Get up there. You're always reading that Bible. And I was like, skirt. I'd never prayed in public before. I didn't know what to do. And so I stood up and I was like, um, okay, everyone take a knee. Right, I had power now, take a knee, everyone took a knee, and I'm like, um, dear God, please help us to win this marksmanship competition. Amen. We won. I was like a god, right? I could walk through and like part the seas. I realized then I knew the Bible was going to be important in my life. <laughs> and so, and then from there, of course, I went to, to college and, and everything else after the army and went to seminary ultimately. And, and of course, that's what I do now. I talk about the Bible all the time. Um, so we're going to talk about the Bible, though. There's there's a, one word that is important to get before you jump into the Bible. And the starting point when you're talking about the Bible is this word revelation. And by revelation, I don't mean the book of Revelation, although there are some similarities to the idea. Remember, I talked about the book of Revelation a few weeks ago, and a few weeks ago I said that if, if things are getting bad, um, it isn't the apocalypse, but you need an apocalypse, because apocalypse mean, means revelation. It means a word from God. And the, the reason that word is so important is because uh, 
it's it's not the book we're concerned about, but the idea of revelation. That for us to know anything about God, it, it has to be revealed to us. And so there are two kinds of revelation in the Bible. There's general revelation and there is special revelation. Let me read to you. I, I'm not going to do this every week, but the introduction to the storybook Bible is, is actually very good. Um, and so this is from the very first part of the storybook Bible. And it says, God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky, on the earth, and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, and to help us know him and to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, shout out to Junie, my cat. The way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. So that that's a description of general revelation. In other words, general revelation is what we learn about God from creation, it, or it's what how God reveals himself to us through creation. Let me read to you Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Basically, I'm, I'm taking the middle of this verse just to make this point. It says, His invisible attributes, God's, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Okay, so in, in other words, we should be able to, to look around the world and at least deduce that there is a God, that someone had to have create the, created these things. And we, we actually should be able to look around the world and be able to do something of God's character, that he's good God and that he's incomprehensible, all of these kinds of things. And so one of the things we learn um, is, is basically that something is not right, or we understand that something's not right, or we feel that something is not right. You'll hear us talk about shalom over the course of this study quite a bit, I would imagine. And shalom is the way things are supposed to be, but all of us know internally, we know intuitively, and we know practically by looking at the newspaper or, or online that things are not really the way they're supposed to be. There are a lot of problems in the world. There is addiction. There is a pandemic right now we're we're going through um there is is domestic abuse there's child abuse there are are, are the abortion there's things uh, there's lots of things that are bad in the world or things that are difficult in the world we know that what general revelation doesn't tell us it we don't learn from general general revelation what the root of the problem is or what god has done to fix it in other words, we can look around and say, okay, there is a God, and we can say some things are beautiful and some things are broken, but we don't get from general revelation how, why that's the case and what God has done to fix it, or if he's done anything to fix it. And the good news is he has done something to fix it, and he's revealed that to us as well. But for that, we need special revelation. We need the Bible, and that's what the children's story of the Bible says, and, and God put it into words too. Remember the, his revelation of himself. And he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Okay. So in some sense, what is the Bible? The Bible, generically speaking, the Bible is basically, um, it's one book composed of 66 smaller books, which are composed of uh, 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. It was written by around 40 authors over a period of about 1500 years, 1400 BC to 100 AD. And it's primarily written in Hebrew and Greek. Need to know anything else? 
Of course you do. If, if you ask the person on the street what the Bible is about, what, what, it, what is it about? I'm guessing a lot of people that, that would give have misconceptions, and there are two big misconceptions, which again, I'm gonna to read to you from the, from the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, because they're actually, they did a great job with that. The first is that they, some people view the Bible as, if they're not familiar with it, and they say, oh, I think it's just a, a rule book, right? And let me read this to you. It says, now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it, they show you how life works best. As a plug, if you wanna to listen to the Sermon on the Mount series, Living Your Best Life, which talks about this, there are several sermons on, on the interweb you can find. They show us how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what God has done. So, so in other words, what the, it's saying is that the Bible does have rules. The Bible has lots of rules. I, I mean, one of the sermons coming up is called 10 Perfect Rules about the Ten Commandments. And I think there's 631 commandments in the Old Testament. There's a lot of rules in the Bible, but that's not what it's about, right? It's not about God didn't give us the Bible so that we would know how to live our life. He didn't, you know, it's not like five ways to be a good parent or 10 ways to be a good spouse. It's not that. So what, what other misconceptions do people have? Well, the other misconception that people have, the main one, is that the Bible is a book of, of sort of history or it's a book of stories about heroes. So, for example, it says other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. In other words, what that's getting at is this, is that some people look at the Bible, and I've heard sermons like this where, say, someone's preaching about Abraham, and it says that Abraham was brave, and so therefore you should go be brave, or Abraham had faith, and so therefore you should go have faith, that Abraham is just an example for us to follow. Now, the problem with that is, for one, it's sort of disingenuous because it doesn't say Abraham committed adultery. You should commit adultery too. It only picks the good things about people in the Bible and says we ought to emulate those and says we ought to avoid the bad things without actually acknowledging they actually did these things. And the purpose of us learning their story is probably different than us just following their example. Now, if Abraham does something good, yeah, go ahead and follow his example. I'm not going to ding you for that. But that's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is not to figure out like, okay, what, whose example should I follow? And then I just need to do it. And as long as I do that, God's going to love me. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible is completely different than that. For one thing, if that's how the Bible worked, it wouldn't be about grace at all. It would just be moralism. And you know what? You can get moralism any place, any place in the world. And so what is the Bible really about? What, in reality, what is the Bible about? From page 17 of the JSB, that's what I'm gonna say from now on, it's easier. It says, no, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes back from, from a far country to win, his lost, win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tale that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. 
There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name, right? If you've seen the subtitle of our series, it's every story whispers his name. That, that when you read back in the Old Testament, they don't say, hey, by the way, some guy named Jesus is going to come. The stories are all pointing to the same place, to the same person, and they don't shout it, but they sort of whisper it, and they sort of point, and they sort of direct us. And so the, the question that I, you, I would be asking, especially if you're not that familiar with the Bible, is this. So one, you're telling me this, the whole Bible at the end of the day is about Jesus. And I would say the answer is yes. The second question is, well, what is the big deal about Jesus that the whole Bible would be about him? Why is he so important? And that leads us to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we're gonna, I'm going to read that to you, and then after I read it to you, I'm going to point out eight things about Jesus that make him important enough to be the subject of the whole story. So hear the word of God. The author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Right? Eight things about Jesus that we learn from this passage. The first thing is that Jesus is God's prophetic voice. Remember, we, I told you that the, uh, the way we know God is by him revealing himself to us. And Jesus is the voice of that revelation, the last, the final prophetic voice. Notice this says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You see, after creation and after the, the fall of humanity and God came and said that I'm going to fix this for you, um, he sent men and women, frankly, prophets, to tell God's people what he was doing and to call them back to him and to to, to advance the story. And in other words, they, they kept moving the ball forward as time went on, You go, going all the way from Noah to Abraham to Moses to David and, and, and a lot in between, of course. And then, of course, you had the, the prophet prophets, right? The, the big, the Isaiahs and the Ezekiels and things like that. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, right now is the last days, right? In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, that Jesus is the final culmination of the revelation of God. Jesus is what God finally and ultimately wants to say to you is Jesus, right? That leads us to the second point, because Jesus is not only God's prophetic voice, but he's God's beloved son. Look at, he said, long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, 
God didn't just send a teacher to bring his final word. He could have said of John the Baptist, for example, John could have said and said, all right, everyone, come on, listen up. This is the last time God is going to say anything. This is the last time he's going to, to ask you to repent. This is the last time anyone's going to come to you. No, he instead of sending just a guy or a woman, he sent his only son. It's sort of, a, I know, maybe it's cliche, but it reminds me, if you want something done right, do it yourself. God himself comes in the person's person of Jesus in the person of the Son to bring God's final revelation to us about who we are and about who he is, about what we've done and better what he has done. So the third thing we see here is that Jesus is not only uh, God's final prophetic voice, he's not only the beloved son, but he's also the God's appointed heir of all things. Notice it says, it says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the heir of, of all things? Well, if you've ever been in like this discovery class, which you'll be able to take online here very soon, if not now, um, you know, when we talk about stewardship and giving, I always talk about the fact that God owns everything. Well, that's true. But also what we know is that God has entrusted all things to Jesus. And in other words, like a great king is going to give his son his, his inheritance. God has given all things, everything that he owns, which is everything, all of the universe, all of the cosmos, every speck of dust. He has handed it over to Jesus. And so Jesus is not only the heir of all things. Now, here's good news. I don't want to keep, I don't spoil my thunder because, right, we're looking at the whole Bible. But whatever Jesus is the heir of, you and I also are if you've trusted him. So you and I are the heir of all things if we are in Jesus. But it's even, it gets even bigger. How, why is Jesus the, the heir of all things? Why is he the inheritor or the possessor of all things? It's because Jesus from this passage and from others is also the creator of all things. Notice what it says. It says that in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That Jesus, think, think, I, I think about this all the time. You're walking through Galilee and you see this out of work carpenter and he's really nice and he's teaching and he's a good teacher and he's laying his hands on some people. Would you in your wildest dreams think, also, through him, the whole world was created. I wouldn't. That's why you need a whole Bible to tell the story, because you could, how in the world does that happen? It's because God himself became incarnate in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, he is the creator of all things. And it gets even bigger. It gets even better as it go along. In verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's talking about Jesus there, the Son of God. So this is the next thing we see is that Jesus is God's personified glory. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Notice that the author didn't say he reflects the radiance of the glory of God, that Jesus somehow, that God, you know, emanates his glory and that Jesus is so great, he is able to reflect that. No. He says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. That The old uh, hymnals might use the word effulgence. 
That, in other words, the glory of God actually emanates from Jesus, that he is the radiance of the glory of God. And not only is it the radiance of the glory of God, God's personified glory, but number six, he is God's perfect revelation. Notice it says he is the exact imprint of his nature. Now, what does he mean by that? Basically, he means this, that, that Jesus is, is God. He is exactly, he, he exactly represents God. He completely represents God to us and frankly to the whole universe. Now, Jesus himself said this and it confused people. One of my favorite passages in the book of John is chapter 14. And remember in chapter 14, chapter 13, Jesus has just told Peter, you're going to deny me before the cock crows three times. And Peter's like very brave disciple. And so the rest of the disciples are like, what are we supposed to do here? You know, what's going on? And so Jesus senses that in verse 14 starts. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare what I've told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, I love Thomas, not because he's my namesake. My name isn't even Thomas, um, but it's because he's he's willing to ask hard questions. So everyone there probably was going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Thomas is like, uh-uh, I don't get it. And so he asks, he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And notice Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, that's a, that is the most exclusive claim, right, that any religious teacher could make. In other words, not like that's how you get to God. The, the, the claim is if you want to get to God, you got to come through me. And so Jesus thinks very highly of himself. Remember, I've told you often he is humble, but he's not modest. And so he says, if you want to come to the Father, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm the life. And if you want to come to the Father, you've got to come through me. And he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip now, being emboldened by Thomas, says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. In other words, just show, show us Father, and we'll believe everything you say. And Jesus said to him, I imagine face palming. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So what Jesus is saying is that he is the exact representation of God on earth and now in the heavens. That if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father, he says to the disciples. It's one thing to say, you to, you, to the only way to, to have a relationship with the Father is through me. It's quite a different thing. It's bigger, I think, to say, if you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. You wanna know what the Father is like? Look at what I am like. That's huge. He's not only God's perfect revelation, um, but he's also God's cosmic, sustainer. Notice it says that he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint 
of his nature. In other words, he, back to that point for a second, he's the exact perfect imprint of God's nature. I heard, um, I was listening to a podcast and they played a, a recording of uh, Don Lemon from CNN. And he was saying, oh, Jesus isn't perfect. When he was here, he made mistakes and he did that and everything. And I remember thinking, well, like, well, Don, someday you're gonna be very surprised, but that's none of my business. <laughs> that was a call out for Kermit the Frog there. Anyhow, cosmic sustainer. <laughs> Notice what it says, that it says he is the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, out of work, Carpenter. Not only did he create everything, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power right now. Listen to what Colossians says about Jesus. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 17. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And then verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That Jesus is not only the voice of God, uh, with regard to, to the prophetic last final word, and he's not only the voice of God in creation, but but he also is the one who is the, the glue that holds everything together. That Jesus is the one who sustains the whole cosmos. That he is the one. So when we talk about, if you're Presbyterian at least, um, we talk about the providence of God and the creation of God. The way that God exercises his plans is through Jesus. That, that, in other words, we tend to think, I, I do sometimes, that God is just disembodied and God's in charge and all these kind of things. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that makes him different than any other kind of God we could imagine. Because if you think about like what a, a deist believes, right? A deist believes that God just sort of kicked over the first domino and then things started in motion. And then he just sat back and went and does whatever God does when creation is running itself. And what we learn from this is that Jesus, the one who sustains all things by the word of his power, is actually completely involved in everything that's happening now. In other words, we, we don't have a distant God. We, had a, we have a God who is willing to come down and give himself for us, who now upholds everything. Do you not think he, he, he will also freely give you all things, Paul would say? So in, in other words, that Jesus is present by his spirit in both providence, just the everyday working of creation, but also in miracle and also in our salvation. And the last thing we see, number eight, is that Jesus is not only, I'll read him again, not only God's prophetic voice, not only God's beloved son, not only his appointed heir of all things, not only his creative agent, not only his personified glory, not only God's perfect revelation, not only God's cosmic sustainer, but he is also, thankfully, God's final sacrifice. Look at the end of verse three. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, what does it mean to make purification for sins? It means to, to purge them. It means the, sac the sacrifice has been made that was completely satisfactory so that now sins are gone, right? In the Old Testament law, that God no longer sees them. And it says that after Jesus made sacrifice for sins, he sat down. In other words, we know that Jesus' sacrifice for sins was one time for all time. 
and that he will never be sacrificed again and there will never be sacrifices that need to be made on our behalf and God will never demand sacrifice of you except for the heart of worship. But we don't sacrifice in order to fulfill some law or to fulfill some kind of justice. Jesus, the last sacrifice, gave himself and when he said it was finished, it is finished. And we know that because after it was done, he sat down. You see, as you look at the, the, if you look at the Old Testament, all the priests from the line of Aaron, they're always standing, right? They, they, they never sit down. They stand because they're always standing, ministering the presence of God because their work is never finished, right? You, you, you sacrifice one sheep and Tommy sins again. You sacrifice another sheep and he sins again. It's just lather, rinse, repeat. Jesus gives himself one time for all time and it is finished. And because of that, he'll never hold your sins against you. Because of that, you are forgiven now, even now, if you put your faith in him. And so the last thing I'll point out here, verse four, notice it says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So if you read the book of Hebrews, this almost seems like a weird twist. Like he's he's talking about how awesome Jesus is. And then he's suddenly saying, oh, by the way, he's also better than angels. Now, why would he do that? I think that he does that because he's really just bringing things full circle because you remember the passage started with the prophets, that Jesus is a, is a greater revealer of God than the prophets, and he's a greater revealer of God than the angels. And in and, and a few more verses, he's gonna say he's a greater superior revealer of God than Moses. In other words, there is no other better way for God to have revealed himself than he has done in the person and work of Jesus. And here's the kicker, this Jesus, this, this Jesus, who's the prophetic voice and beloved son, the, the radiance of the glory of God, this Jesus, he's the prince. He's the prince who left everything to seek and to save his beloved. The one who sustains all things, the one who created all things, the one who holds all things together. He is the one who also came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to find his beloved and win her to himself. And here's the good news. You are that beloved. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that as we enter this time of of seeking the face of Jesus through all of the scriptures, that you would show his face clearly each and every week. I pray even this morning, someone who is unfamiliar with the Bible would would, would now want to, to dive in, that they, that they might seek to know this Jesus of whom the Bible speaks. So we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, typically, if we were in church at this point, we would sing the doxology. I would have you stand. We'd sing the doxology and we would also take an offering. And obviously we're not doing that, but if you would like to support the Ministry of New Hope, if you're a member or maybe you're just tuning in, um, you can find the information in the comments section. And I thought I would finish this way. Um, We typically have been finishing this time together with a profession of faith. And the profession of faith I wanted to, to do this morning is really two questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's question 18 and 19. And so question 18 says this question, and you can answer along with me if you want question. Then who is this mediator? True God, and at the same time, true and righteous human. Answer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. In other words, there's one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Question 19, how do you come to know this? Answer, the Holy Gospel tells me. God began to reveal the gospel already in paradise, 
Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it through his own beloved son. Everything I just told you, I could have just read you that question and signed off. But think about that. Have a good week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. It's Tommy Allen, New Hope Presbyterian Church.